What's up, Next Level Church? Man, so glad that you're here joining us this weekend. I want to welcome everyone at all of our services at the Plantation Campus, also at our Gateway Campus. We are so glad that you're here joining. My name is Mike Ash. I'm one of the pastors here at Next Level. And one of the great privileges about being a part of Next Level Church is for me personally, I've been a part of the church since we started 13 years ago. And to watch everything that God has been doing over the last 13 years is so amazing. And it's been fun for me personally because I've been able to see a dream in the heart of Pastor Matt and Sarah, and the heart, the dream was we're going to create a place that people just love to come, and we think that if we do that, we think God is going to transform their hearts, and it's been so awesome over the last 13 years to see God do that and to see him transform your life, your family, your friends, the people around you, and it's so awesome to see a lead pastor and, and who just cares so much about us and about creating a place that people love so they can experience a loving God. So before we get going, can we just honor and thank our lead pastor, Pastor Matt? Yeah. Well, I'm excited because we are launching a series called The Basics, and the whole idea behind The Basics is because we're getting back to the basics and our relationship with God. And I, th I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, what do we talk about as we kind of launch into this series, and how do we really illustrate what the basics are? And so I was thinking about riding a bike, because riding a bike, uh, for most of us, is very basic. For some of you don't know how, but in general, if you meet someone who doesn't know how to ride a bike, you're always very surprised by that, because in general, everyone knows how to ride a bike, and once you know how to ride a bike, it's like riding a bike, which basically means it is basic in the sense of you just always know how to ride a bike. And so for me, I've always really, you know, I knew how to ride a bike. I remember when my dad taught me how to ride a bike, and it was, I remember because I was riding my sister's bike, because I have an older sister, which basically means everything I learned, I learned on girl stuff. And so I remember her girl bike, she had the handlebars that were kind of up, and like it wasn't a Harley, but it was pink, but it makes me feel like I'm driving a Harley, but it was kind of up. And I remember him with the back of the seat and my mom, and they would push me and I would just, you know, I'd ride along and uh, learn how to do that. I've done it with my son now. And so I've known how to ride a bike for a long time. So I had some friends a few years ago say, hey, do you want to do a triathlon with us? And I'm like, well, a triathlon is swimming, so I cannot drown. I may not be good at swimming, but I cannot drown. It's biking and it's running. And I'm like, well, the biking part is not that big of a deal because I know how to ride a bike. The, the, the problem is and the difference is that there is a difference between riding a bike and cycling, Okay, there's a big difference between that. You know what the difference between riding a bike is and cycling? A whole lot of complexity. Okay, there are, and I actually want to illustrate this and show you guys. I actually brought, this is my bike that I brought, uh, my wife and some friends pitched in and got me this bike about 10 years ago and wanted to show you how different it is than regularly riding a bike. And actually, I brought it up. And you'll see the handlebars a little bit different. That's because these bars right here, they're called aero bars. The whole idea is you put your arms in the pads and you actually get down so that you're aerodynamic and you're fast. Like, like, like that's, the way, that's the way I say it to make it sound cool. You're fast because you get down. These are the gear shifters so that when you're down, you can just kind of, you know, shift the gears. You have the handlebars that are up here with the brakes that are up here so they don't go down. It's a little bit different, although it's a little bit hard. If you're down here, you need to hit the brake. You got to swing over real quick. It's, you know, it's tricky. You got to do that. There's a little computer here that tells me how fast I'm going, the RPMs on the, of how fast my feet are going, my cadence, how long I've been riding. There's actually a little pump right here that you can pump up your tire because when you ride a bike, you know, you go around your neighborhood. But when you cycle, you go for like 
miles. Like it, it is like, and so if you blow a tire and you're out, you just are in trouble. I'm going to throw that right there. You're just in trouble as you go through that process. And this bag back here actually holds a tube so I can, and everything you need to change your tire. So if you're on the road, you can be like MacGyver and change your own tire, which is pretty awesome. And then it has two bottle holders that, for water bottles. Because again, if you're going on a long ride, you need that. And I actually have one that goes in between these bars that you can drink on. And, and the pedals, the pedals are pretty unique because in the pedals, you can actually get special shoes and you clip into the pedals, like clip into them. And, and you know what they do? They make you fall. Here's the reason why, because you clip into them and then you unclip on one side. And when you stop at a red light, you're supposed to lean on the side you unclip. But every once in a while, you unclip on one side and your momentum gets going on the other side. And if you don't unclip, you fall. And I have fallen in front of cars and they're like, look at me like I'm an idiot because I'm just like, I'm just on my bike and just boom, just fall out. They're like, why don't you put your foot down? It's because I'm clipped in. I can't get out. Like it is a death trap. So that's kind of what that is. And so, and so that, that's kind of the bike side, but also there's all the stuff that you have to wear. I have a heart rate monitor. I have a helmet that's specifically aerodynamic, glasses, gloves, uh, biking shorts, which, you know, is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Biking shorts are, no one looks good in them. It's terrible. Um, I have this shirt that has pockets in the back. You can put food back there. You can put your phone back there, all kinds of stuff. And, and so you, you wear all this stuff to make you a little more aerodynamic. And then the way you eat, you're supposed to eat like every 30 minutes when you're on a long ride. You're supposed to drink before you're thirsty. You're supposed to eat a lot of pasta the night before. You're supposed to have, think about that, and this is something that, that I'll tell you, but you don't need to know this, but if you do endurance like at all, you, that the sleep that you get two nights before you go out is more important than the sleep you get the night before. So let, keep that in mind if you ever decide to bike a long ways or run a long ways or do anything like that. And so there's all this like complexity to it. Like all of this. So if you're ever going to do endurance stuff, there's all this complexity, all the science, and there's even more deeper stuff. There's, it even goes deeper in the process. And so I got into it. So for me, I got into it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into biking, and I'm going to bike a lot. And I started biking, and there's a target heart rate that your heart rate's supposed to get at, and there's a tar- you're supposed to get a certain RPMs and a certain speed. And I got so focused on the complexity and so focused on all of the things that had to do with biking that over time, you know what happened? I started to resent it. And over time, there was something that I enjoyed doing, and honestly, it just took away the fun for me. And I got so focused on getting a little bit faster and going a little bit more and eating the right way and doing everything, and, then I, and I wouldn't hit the speed that I wanted to hit. I'd just, be, I'd just be down. I'd be frustrated because the complexity of cycling took away the joy of cycling. Because here's what happens, and this is just a truth. The complexity destroys joy. Complexity in any area of our lives, if it gets too complex, has the ability to take the joy out of any area of our lives. I mean, think about it. For some of us, we have experienced this firsthand because when we were little, when we were younger, we started playing sports. We started playing sports and we realized that we started playing because we thought it'd be fun to play sports and we realized over time, we're not actually playing sports for us. We're playing sports because our dad wants to live through us. And every day we would go out and we started to play and there was this realization that we would have that we are playing not so that we can win or not so that we can have fun, but we're playing not to disappoint our dad. And it got complex and we lost the joy of it. And we ended up walking away because it was just so complex and it stole away 
the joy. For some of us, this is not playing sports, it's watching sports. You know those people that like they DVR every game of everything they're at, and any time that they're out during a game, all they say is, hey, good to see you, don't tell me the score. Hey, it's good to see you, don't tell me the score. You know those people who kind of walk around and just go, don't tell me the score, don't tell me the score, and their whole night is surrounded around, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. And by the time you get home, it's not even fun to watch the game. You just, it's like you survived, right? Kind of takes away the joy. Some of us, it's a TV show. Yeah, there are TV shows out there that get so complex, it's almost not even fun to watch anymore. Anybody ever watch the show Lost? You used to watch the show Lost, anybody? Man, my wife and I got into that show. That is possibly the most complex show I've ever seen, okay? But I kept watching it. You know why? Because I had already been like six seasons in, and I hated it, but I kept watching it because I felt like I was going to miss something, and suddenly there was going to be this big revelation. There was never a big revelation, but I was so frustrated, and I would watch it, but every time afterwards, you know what I said to my wife? I hate this show. I hate it. You know why? It was so complex, so many layers, that it destroyed the joy for me in that show. And for all of us, maybe this is true as well. In your dating life, I'm thinking about this. If you're single and you go on dates, you know where the joy is? The joy's in like the first two dates. And then it gets complex. And you realize he's a little more crazy than you thought he was. Or maybe she has a little more baggage than you thought she had. And it starts to take away the joy. And if you're married, this is true as well. If you still go on dates, and hopefully you do with your spouse, you know, when you were dating, it was fun to go on dates. Because we go out and we do fun dates. And we go bowling. And we go to the movies. And we do all this fun stuff. <laughs> but now as a married couple, you go on a date, and it feels like a business meeting. Because we talk about parenting and schedules and to-do lists and everything that's coming up. And honestly, there are times where it can just take away the joy, because complexity destroys joy. This is also true in our relationship with God. That so many times in our relationship with God, it can be so complex that it can take away the joy. And I don't know if you remember, but when you first started following and decided you're going to follow Jesus and became passionate about it, I know for me, I remember that. I mean, worship is just so pure. It's like you walk into worship and it's like you and God the whole time. And there's this connection. You just feel like he's there. Or you pray and you feel like you're just connecting with him. Or you read the Bible. I don't know if you ever read the Bible. When you first started reading it, I know when I, I got saved when I was 17 years old, I started following Jesus, 17 years old, I would read a story in the Bible and I would walk out of my room with my dad and I'm like, Dad, did you know this story was in the Bible? And he's like, yeah, I knew this. Like for him, it wasn't a big deal. But for me, there was just like this joy, this excitement that was there. You go to church and just feel like it was connected. I would tell everybody that I knew about Jesus. But then complexity set in. And suddenly you realize that the Bible has a lot to say about a lot of things. That the idea of all you have to do is follow Jesus, but you get in and feel like, man, I feel like there's more to do than just follow Jesus. And then there are people, and possibly this is your past, and this is the story that you would tell, that there are people who have all kinds of rules, that have set up all kinds of rules about the way that we're supposed to live. And honestly, the rules that they set up, you don't even see them in the Bible. You don't even see them in the life of Jesus, but they just set them up. And in fact, they were unhappy people. And the thing about unhappy people is unhappy people love to make other people <laughs> unhappy. That's what unhappy people do. So they set up rules. And they said, don't do this and don't say this and don't go here and don't do this. And honestly, you grew up, and maybe for some of us, we walked away from the church. We walked away from Jesus because somebody set up a rule and someone that you knew broke it or maybe you broke it or maybe there was a divorce that happened or someone got pregnant or we acted a certain way. We went on kind of the season of walking off the path. And the way we were treated was so bad. We didn't walk away, God. We didn't walk away from Jesus, but we walked away from those people because the joy was gone. Because it got so complex. 
So what we want to do over the next five weeks throughout the series called The Basics is we want to strip away the complexity and look back at look into the basics of what we're supposed to do as we follow Jesus in order for us to do this, in order for us to restore the joy. We're going to talk about how we restore the joy in our faith, and the way that we do that is we begin to look back at the basics. So if you have your Bibles with you, what I want you to do is I want you to look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 really is when it's laid out some very basics for the way that we're supposed to follow Jesus. Now, when this happens is about 3,500 years ago, and it's in the book of Exodus. And the reason why it's called the book of Exodus is because this really is when the Israelites made an exodus out of Egypt. See, they were slaves for about 12 generations, for 400 years in Egypt. And so 12 generations of slavery over and over again. And the Israelites at the time, they were God's people. So God finally said, all right, that's enough. And he went and he got Moses and he told Moses, Moses, I need you to go and tell the Pharaoh of Egypt, that's enough. Let him go. So Moses walks in, kind of the leader of the slaves into the Pharaoh of the conquering world and says, God says, the God of the slaves, the God of the one who has allowed his people to be in slavery for 400 years, let the slaves go. And Pharaoh's like, there's no way I'm letting them go. And there are about 10 plagues that happened. Some of you have heard this story, and if you've never read the book of uh, Exodus, it is a great book to read because of what God does in order to get the Israelites out of slavery. So Pharaoh finally lets them go. The Israelites leave. They go across the Red Sea. They split the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. They go across, and then the Red Sea closes. And as soon as the Red Sea closes, you know what happens? Suddenly Israel, for the first time in 400 years, is a nation unto themselves. And they've got to figure out how to govern themselves. And for about 60 days, they're okay. God supplies food, God supplies water, but then they don't know what to do. And they're going, what do we do now? How are we supposed to live now? All we've ever known is slavery. So God calls to Moses, the leader of this group that has now fled from Egypt. He said, Moses, come up to this mountain. And God and this mountain gives him a list of guidelines and rules to follow to help guide them in the way to treat others and the way to approach God. What we call them, we actually call them the Ten commandments. But these are the basics. These are the basics on how God says we are to live our lives and how the Israelites were to conduct themselves with God and with man. So what we're going to do throughout the series, we're going to look at these 10 commandments. We're going to take two a week over the next five weeks, and we're going to delve into these because as we look at these basics and allow these basics to to guide us, they will help to restore the joy in our lives. The restore the joy in our lives. So we're going to call these first two. We're going to look at the first two commandments. We're going to call them the most basic basics. The most basic basics. These are, in fact, what I would say and what Jesus reiterated, or what Jesus said, and I'll reiterate because that's really the way it should work, is that Jesus said these, what we're going to talk about today are the most important, he would say the most important uh, commands of all of the Ten Commandments. So the most basic basics. It actually starts in Exodus chapter 20, and it says this, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, before we go on to the first commandment, I just want to point this out real quick to us. He says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Basically, the Israelites, after 400 years, found themselves in a state of chaos. And you know why they were in a state of chaos? Because of God. And he brought them to a state of chaos. And I just strongly believe this. I believe this in every service uh, at every campus. I believe that for some of us, we have come in this weekend and we are in a state of chaos. And we're in a state where we can't figure out what's going on. And we feel like our life 
is over. We feel like things are going bad. We feel like we don't know what to do, and we find ourselves in a state of chaos. Here's what I believe. I believe that you coming in this weekend, I believe God would say to you, I am with you. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your change, in the midst of what's going on, I'm with you. And I believe that when you find yourself in the midst of a season of chaos, I believe we should do two things. The first one is, I believe we need to step towards God. We need to take a step in, in his direction. I think the tendency sometimes can be for us to step away from him. I believe we have to step into him. And the second thing is, we have to allow that change to change us. That so many times, and listen, so much, somebody needs to hear this. I believe this. That God will use the change around us to create growth in us. Let me say it again, because somebody needs to write this down. Somebody needs to tweet it. Somebody needs to text it to a friend. God will use the change around us to create growth in us. And we have to al allow the change that's happening around us to do something in us because God wants to work something out in us and we have to stop looking out and we have to start looking in. He goes on and he gives the first commandment and it says, you shall have no other gods before me. The first most basic, basic is this, is that God wants to be number one in our lives. God wants to be number one in our lives. My wife and I, uh, before we had our first son, uh, Karsten, we went, out, we went away and we kind of did a marriage retreat when she was about eight months pregnant. We did this marriage retreat and we were there and she wanted to work out. It was over in Fort Lauderdale. She wanted to work out. So we went to the workout center because to run outside or do anything outside, it was just too hot for how pregnant she was. And we said, let's go to the workout center. So we go to this workout center and at this workout center, it's an, it was like an okay like place. There were lots of people around, but it was this okay place. <laughs> but what happened was there was no music in the whole place. It was completely silent and the only TVs they had were all closed captions. You couldn't hear them. All you could do was read the words. And so, but I'm with my pregnant wife. Like, I kind of have to be there. Like, I can't go outside and run. So I jump on this treadmill. She jumps on this reclining bike. And I start running on this treadmill. Well, I'm running on this treadmill, and I've got one TV in front of me and two TVs on the sides. Well, what I start doing is I start looking at the TV to my left and start reading the closed captioning on the TV, trying to pay attention to it because that's the show I want to watch. Now, if you look in a direction, the tendency for your body is to move in that direction. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone fall off of a treadmill before, but you could YouTube it, okay? So I am running along, and here's the thing about it, and this is such a weird deal, you go in slow motion, okay? So I start running, and my foot hits the side, right? So my foot hits the side, and my body starts to go, and it is like slow motion. <laughs> but it's loud, like... Okay, and then I start to tumble, and that's not in slow motion. The tumbling is not in slow motion. I fall over onto my back. The treadmill takes my back and throws me against the back wall. And I'm laying there, and I'm looking up going, dang it, because I, I, it's, it's not like I, I didn't get knocked out. Nothing happened. I was fully aware of how stupid I just was, <laughs> laying there looking up with people who are three times my age coming over to me going, can I help you? Do you need help? I'm like, no, I don't need help. Whatever. Get out of here. Like, I'm just embarrassed. Like, quit looking at me. It was so loud. My wife screamed, okay? Here's what happened. I forgot that the number one thing when running on a treadmill is to run on the treadmill, not watch the TV. When we forget that the number one thing in our lives is to put God first, we will end up on the floor. 
and we'll end up on the floor of our lives. And I think for some of us, we've ended up on the floor of our lives. And I believe that if we were to look back on our greatest regrets, the reason why we ended up at a place where we were at our greatest regret is because we forgot to put God as number one. And I believe that if we were to look back at our greatest regrets, and if we could have put God at number one at that stage, we could have avoided some of the greatest regrets of our lives. We have to put God as number one. God wants to be number one in our lives. Now, this is huge, and I would just say this. If you're a business leader, if you're a parent, if you're, a, um, if, if you're married, if you're single, I believe in every area of our lives, we have to put God as number one in our lives. We have to make sure that he's number one. The reason for that is when we make him number one, we invite him into the area where we make him number one. And if you're single and you decide you're going to make God number one in your dating life, then you invite him into your dating life. If you're married, you decide that God's going to be number one, you invite him into your marriage. This is part of the reason for us. This is why we teach tithing here at Next Level. Because the Bible teaches it, but the reason why we believe in it so much is tithing is giving the first 10% to God. The reason why we think this is such an important principle for us to teach is because we believe that when we tithe, when we give the first 10%, we invite God into our finances. And we invite God into our lives. One of the things Jesus said, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Which means when we invest and put God first in our treasure, we put God first in our heart. And I think a lot of us, we are stuck in our relationship with God because we are not putting him first in our finances. But I believe one of the greatest ways to break through on a spiritual level is to put him first on a financial level. I think that's what he wants. And, and you know, people will tell me sometimes, but Mike, the church just wants our money. Here's what I would say. Then give it somewhere else. Because I so much believe and we so much believe that God wants you to put him first in every area of our lives. And here's my challenge for you. Just try it. One of the things we say all the time, try it for 90 days. Try a 90-day tithe challenge. We talk about it on our website. Man, because what God will do, and we hear story after story after story. Here's what people will say to us sometimes. My God, we'll we'll do that when we get our finances in order. But here's the catch-22 through all of that logic. The catch-22 is our finances won't be in order until we put God as number one. When we put him as number one, we invite him into our finances, and then we see God show up, but we expect God to show up without putting him as number one. And that's true in any area, that we we cannot expect God to show up until we make him number one in our lives. When we make him number one in our lives, in any area of our lives, we invite him in. So my question for you is this, what area do we need to make him number one in our lives? And what area have we avoided, avoided making him Number one, in our lives. He goes on in in verse four, and God says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. The second most basic, basic is this, is that we have to fight the tendency to make things more important than God. We have to fight the tendency to make things more important than God. There is a tendency and a natural draw to make things more important than God, and we have to intentionally choose not to do that. My uh, seven-year-old son and my five-year-old son, they recently started a business. I encouraged them, hey, I think you guys should try to start a business. What do you want to do? And so they started a car wash. 
They call it the Ash Car Wash. It's awesome. We have lots of fun. Uh, we have more cars than we can handle, so don't email me. But we, we're like in that zone of washing cars. You know why? Because I wash the cars and they help. But for right now, that's the way it works. So I don't want to wash your car. So, so, but, but they've been doing this car wash. And so we're washing this car a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, hey, how awesome is it that we get to wash people's cars and bless them with, you know, having a nice car when they leave? How good does that feel? And then my oldest goes, and I love the money. Like he says it like that. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. You know how you have those moments where you realize that something's coming out of your son or coming out of your child. And you're like, that's not the point of what we're trying to do right now. We need to back up a little bit and reset. I remember talking to him about, yeah, yeah that's nice. I mean, it's nice to have money. It's nice to do that. I said, but buddy, it is so awesome for us to bless people, and when we get money, we can actually give some of our money to help other people. And so we start, like, like for me, I even realized as a dad, I had to start promoting the giving side to it and the generosity side to it, and who can we, whose car can we wash for free? Like, I started having those conversations because I realized that we were making the money the most important thing. And sometimes in our lives, it's easy for us to make other things more important than God. So if I were to sit down, here's the question for us, and talk to your spouse I talk to your closest friends, I talk to the people that we work with, and ask them the question, do they have anything in their life that they put more important than God? What would they say? What would they say? Not talk to you, because of course we're all going to tell the churchy answer of, yes, I put everything important, you know, like that's kind of what we do, but if I were to talk to the people around you, if I were to look at your schedule, your bank account, your lifestyle, what we do on a regular basis, is there anything in our world right now that we make more important than God. He would say that's an idol. He would say that's an idol. And the reason why this is important is because when we make things more important than God, it's the idea that when we are focusing on God and making him as the most important, it's like we are heading in a direction. But as soon as we make something uh, more important than him, it steals our focus and it steals our attention away. And although it may be subtle at first, over time, it steals our direction, and we will end up in a place we do not want to be. And it will end up away from where God wants us in our lives. And you know what happens when we end up there? We ask the question, how did I get here? What happened? <laughs> and so, why would God do this to me? You know why? Because there was a point when we made something more important than God, and we shifted a little bit. And then we ended up at a place that we wouldn't want to go. Where or what is more important than God? In verse 5, he explains how you know if it's an idol or not. How you know if it's taking your focus or not. And he says this, you shall not, two things, bow down to them or worship them. The third most basic basic is this. Anything we bow down and worship more than God sets us up for defeat. Anything we bow down or worship more than God sets us up for defeat. This is really a question of allegiance. Now, I know for some of us, we, say, we would say, but Mike, I don't really bow down and worship my boyfriend. I don't really bow down and worship something. This is, but, but what he's talking about here is more of a question of allegiance, that where is your ultimate allegiance. Uh, when, when Leanne and I got married, when we were getting ready to get married, we were still engaged, we, we actually uh, took dance lessons, okay, because I, I don't know how to dance. I still don't know how to dance, but dance lessons helped me a little bit, and the reason why we took dance lessons is we decided we were going to do a choreographed dance for our wedding, 
okay? And it was sweet, so shut up. It was awesome, okay? It was like, it was awesome. It was cool, okay? Like, I learned, I learned a few things. I don't really, she's not here, but, I'll, I, you know, you, you learn, you got to kind of have the box that you got to stay in the box. This is how you roll right here if you don't know how to dance, okay? This right here, because people think you know what you're doing. You don't know. And if you can get your dance to do it, you just go in the box right here. I don't know salsa. I don't want to move my hips. I'm not good at the hips. It doesn't work. It looks like, it looks like I'm having a seizure if I move these things, okay? It just doesn't work out very well. My dancing skill doesn't well. I just, you know, I kind of like just, I'm just, I'm the guy who does the head thing. I'm like, like I, I love dancing in the car because I don't need to use the bottom half of my body. It just works out really well for me. But we decided to do a choreographed dance. And so we were doing, learning all of this stuff for a choreographed dance. And so we went, we took all these dance lessons and I was learning a little bit how to dance. Now, I was actually, here's, here's the thing that, that you'd be surprised by this. I was actually doing pretty good. And we got to a place that every once in a while that Leanne would mess up something. And I'm like, oh, come on. We got to get this dance right. And, and she would want to talk about the wedding and all the wedding plans. I'm like, no, 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 no wedding plans. You take care of the wedding plans. Let's practice the dance. Let's practice. Because in the dance, like, I had to pick her up twice. And again, I weigh about 100 pounds more than her. And I'm a foot taller than she is. And the lady, I think this was a joke, the, the person who helped us choreograph the dance, I think it was a joke because she actually had me spin her and then she spin me. Now, she's a foot shorter than I am. And that spin looked like I'm falling off a treadmill. Like, it is like... Like, it was not right. It was not good at all. Like, it was terrible. And so, so I'm learning, like, I had to pick her up and spin her around. I had to pick her up twice and go through this process. So throughout the process, she kept talking about wedding plans. I'm like, no, no, let's plan for the wedding. Let's, let's, let's dance. The dance is the most important part of the day. The day. And listen, if you ever want to get into an argument with your spouse or get in a fight with your spouse, take dance lessons with them. Okay? I'm just telling you. So it'll help you work out stuff, I guess. So, so it was just in that zone. And we started dancing, we started going through all that, and we started learning how to dance, and we did our little shimmy thing, and we did our, again, I don't move very well, it doesn't work out very well, and I'm doing the spin, and we're learning all of this, and I just think the dance is going to be the best thing in the world. You know what the point of the day was? Getting married. And you know what really the point of the day was? Getting married to Leanne. It wasn't the dance, okay? But it's easy sometimes to allow our allegiance to drift from what it needs to be. When he says that we should not bow down or worship, it is when our allegiance gets off. So let me ask again. If I were to sit down with your spouse or your coworker or your friend and ask where your allegiance is, what would you say? If I were to look at the schedule or schedule of your family, what would you say? Is God number one in every single area of our lives? I think if the answer is no or answer is I'm not sure, I believe that God wants us to realign our lives and reset our lives to get it to where it needs to go. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head, not look around, I don't want anybody to look around. For some of us, before we talk about the areas we need to reset, here's the question I want to ask you. Maybe as I've talked about this and went through this process, you said I'm like, it's not that I need to reset a part of my life or put God number one as part of my life. I need God to be number one over my whole life. And I've never made that decision. And I need to start there. And I think that is the perfect place for you to start. And if that's you, it's a sign between you and Jesus that this is your time to finally take that step. I just want you to lift your hand. I want you to lift your hand high between you and Jesus. Say, Jesus, today is my day to reset my life and put you as number one and decide that you are going to be number one in my life. Just lift your hand up right now.
Come on, I see it. I see it. All campuses, every service, lift your hand up. It's so awesome. So awesome. So awesome. By making this choice, this is one of the best decisions you're ever going to make in your life. For some of us, it's not just that decision to put him as number one, but there are areas out of, in our lives that are not aligned right, that, that really we've just lost some joy and we just need to realign our lives and we need to put him back as number one in our lives. That there are areas that we have too much fear because we can't trust that God is in charge of it, but we need to invite him back into an area of our lives. And if there's an area of your life where you would say God is not number one, but that is a decision that you're going to make this week, I want you to lift up your hand. Just lift it up high. Just lift it up high. Come on, let me pray for you guys. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to follow after you and make you as number one. And Jesus, for those who raised, rose their hand, raised their hand up to say you are number one of our lives, Jesus, I pray that you would guide them throughout this process and throughout this journey to make you number one over every area of our lives. And God, for those who have an area where they would say is not number one in your life, in their life, Jesus, I pray that you would move and give them strength to make some changes this week, make some changes in the next two weeks, have some hard conversations in the next two weeks to make you number one of their lives. Jesus, that's what we want to do. We want to align our lives with you because, Jesus, we know that when we make you number one, we can invite you into our lives and we invite you into every area of our lives. And that's what we do right now. We invite you into our lives. And, Jesus, we pray for strength as we do that. And, Jesus, we just thank you that you give us the ability to come to you and make you number one. And we can trust you with everything that we give you, Jesus. And, Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everyone and every service who agreed said, Amen.